All right, welcome back, everybody. We're at the halfway mark here of our Sports Talk Saturday broadcast. We're going back to the Wester Hotline now because Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus joins us. He's the co-host of the PFF pot, uh, Forecast Podcast. And uh, Eric, good uh, good afternoon to you, my friend. Thanks for joining me here on Sports Talk Saturday. We appreciate your time on a weekend, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. My pleasure. We uh, brought you on because I wanted to uh, to chat with you about the year two quarterback projections, um, some of the Tua Mahomes weird discourse from earlier last week, and and kind of projecting out some of the uh, some of the Bills. Um, offensive numbers going into this year. And and I wanted to start with you with the year two quarterbacks because I do think um, it's hard to really predict where quarterbacks go from a year two perspective, especially with the change a lot of these year two quarterbacks have experienced this year. Maybe no more than Mac Jones, who's probably the guy that had the best performance as a rookie last year with Josh McDaniels. And now He's got Matt Patricia potentially as his play caller. When you look at the Patriots as a whole, they didn't get a whole lot better across the offensive line. They get, um, you know, they they add a receiver, but he's not a true number one. Devontae Parker. They add like five new running backs in the draft. Where does this offense to you go? Considering we have no real way to predict what a Matt Patricia slash you know Bill Belichick ran offense is going to look like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you look at and this is the curse of, you know, a good uh, rookie year as a quarterback. I mean, he was worth about 2.8 wins above replacement, uh, which is worth about $28 million, and he was paid $2.8 million. So that's a really good value for the Patriots. But then ultimately, when, when that happens, you often see the offensive coordinator get a head coaching job, understandably, mm-hmm. right? And so that's what oftentimes contributes to a sophomore slump. I, I think that's a fairly reasonable thing to assume from Mac Jones, especially considering – you know, Buffalo, Miami, uh, the Jets got better defensively uh, this, this spring. So, to me, uh, I, I think it's going to be a tough projection there. I, I think regression is probably in store for Mac Jones. And we saw it near the second half of the season anyway. Yeah, and I think the second half of that season, in particular for Mac Jones, what stood out to me last year is the the the, the lack of a true number one weapon. And I'm not sure Parker's that guy. They've got this assembly Eric, of a ton of like good number two and number three guys. We didn't see Josh Allen truly ascend until that number one wide receiver got here in Stephon Diggs. But he was able to take incremental steps with the John Browns and Cole Beasley's of the world. I'm wondering that this year, without that true number one receiver, is that step for Mac Jones less likely, knowing that you have the new variable in an offensive coordinator in Matt Patricia who's never called plays before? We don't know what the, the scheme he's going to back into is. Have they done enough at the skilled position, player position, across, whether it's tight end, receiver, running back, to surround him with enough talent to take a step? Or are we just going to sit here and assume that almost regardless of the players he has around him, he's bound to take that step back this year and using that second half of the season last year as maybe the, the key or the uh, the predictive measure to, to say so? I think so. I mean, I think it's fairly reasonable to say, look, like Parker has had number one receiver moments. Aguilar is the guy that can take the, the top off a of defense. Um, you know, with, with Kendrick Bourne as a guy who's been a, a contributor to a solid offense basically his whole career. But, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, the tight ends, I mean, like they didn't get the production out of the tight ends that I think they wanted to in free agency. So, um, you know, I think that there's, they're, they're making projections on these guys as well. They had a good year last year. They hope to have a great year out of those guys. And, and to me, I don't, I don't know if that's a great, uh, a great bet to make. 
So speaking of teams with some lackluster wide receivers, and 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 I'll leave Mooney out of this conversation because I like him a lot, but I I'm I am of the mind, and and I probably am in the the large majority here that Chicago simply did not do enough this offseason to surround Justin Fields with the talent on the offensive line and skill positions um, that I think was really required to get a true good look of what you're going to have from Justin Fields, short of just being spectacular with not a lot of good surrounding supporting cast. How do you judge Justin Fields year two where he's going to get 17 games to play and he's not going to be a guy fighting with Andy Dalton and and some other veteran for playing time like he's going to get the majority of the snaps this year if not all of them if he can stay healthy how does one try to evaluate what he's able to do with the supporting cast that he has in Chicago I think it's really hard I mean I think PFF grades do a decent job like if a guy's not getting open and he's still throwing darts and they're just incomplete then, you know, we'll grade him better than, you know, if he's missing wide open guys. But it's going to be hard. And, I, you know, I think, you know, one of the reasons Ryan Poles picked the Chicago Bears ahead of the Minnesota Vikings is that he was able to start with a blank canvas for the most part. You know, uh, Questia Doppelmensa in Minnesota, you know, uh, ownership wanted them to stay the course with the current roster. And, you know, that I think long term is going to be bad for Minnesota. For Chicago, you know, they trade Khalil Mack. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of dead money on their cap this year because next year they want to be able to make plays. There wasn't really much that they could do to help Justin Fields. But then at the same time, they go in the draft, they take Kyler Gordon, um, you know, instead of a wide receiver. You know, they, they take Zealous Jones as opposed to, uh, you know, some of, the more, some of the younger guys, some of the better guys. So I, I think it's, you know, I think it's one of those things where they don't believe that much in Justin Fields and that he has to produce well without much support for them to be a buyer of him, which I think is kind of a rough situation to be in. I think it's incredibly unfair, Eric, because, I mean, this is a guy that I think, frankly, went to the worst possible situation. And and that's, I think, one of the the worst things an NFL franchise can do is let a lame-duck coach and lame-duck general manager draft a quarterback because it's essentially a waste of a pick. And if you are planning on, and, and, and let's just, you know, for predictive measures here, say that Justin Fields struggles this year because I don't know a reason why he wouldn't. And they end up moving on. There's not really, like, a way to recoup assets when you have a depreciated asset that no, everyone knows you're trying to unload. So how do you, if you're an NFL owner, the lame duck coach, and I'm thinking of Nagy in this, and and maybe to a certain extent Zimmer last year, but I think there was a real sense that they wanted Zimmer to succeed. It just didn't work out from ownership. I, I, I think it's one of the biggest mistakes an NFL franchise can do is let a coach and a general manager with like who are obviously on the hot seat go ahead and draft a quarterback. And I think it's one of the worst mistakes NFL franchises make. I agree. I think that the hard part is for ownership. Usually the cap situation is not so dire. You know, the, the hard part is when they allow the lame duck teams to sort of go all in, um, you know, sort of go all in um, when they, when they're not that good, you know, and I think yeah. you, you see kind of with, you know, Minnesota and, and Chicago and then, but like you look at like a team, you know, um, I'm trying to think of a, a, you know, like a Chargers team, right. Where, you know, Anthony Lynn hasn't done the, the best job in the world. They take, you know, Justin Herbert, you know, they, they come into that situation better probably, sure. uh, you know, than, than Chicago's team does. So I think it's more about where the cap was and the fact that not only did they draft the young quarterback, but they went somewhat all in as far as, uh, you know, salary, like the Jimmy Graham contract and stuff like that. 
to me, that leaves the, the roster somewhat desolate as, as we come into 2022. So do, do you, like, subscribe to a certain type of rebuild strategy? Because Chicago is kind of going in the opposite direction. You mentioned, I mean, they didn't have that first-round pick, but they go out, they get Kyler Gordon, they're drafting, um, you know, wide receivers that are 25 years old later in the uh, later in the draft but this is a team and an organization that has uh, frankly ignored the offensive and defensive lines in terms of trying to rebuild them with youth and I think if you look across the league most teams when a new coach when a new general manager comes in the strategy is to build from within and then build out from there build the offensive line get it into position then draft the franchise quarterback so they're set up for success now Cincinnati didn't really do that right I mean they had one of the worst offensive lines in football the for the first two years of Joe Burrow's career but it worked out for them because they built one of the strongest skill positions in all of football with Chase and Higgins and and Tyler Boyd but I'm wondering like is there a certain model you subscribe to that you believe gives a franchise their best opportunity to set a quarterback up for success when they ultimately do draft them? Yeah, the Bengals drafted a or sort of built a resilient defense around Burrow. There were six or seven, I think, members of their secondary last year that had played a thousand snaps with a different team other than the Bengals at the NFL level. So that you know that is something as well where you build a defense that gives yourself a chance you're always going to have issues, right? You, you go from 2-14 and 14 to 10-7 and seven in two years, you're still going to have weaknesses along your offense. Um, I, you know, I, we also have the issue, though, is like when you build an offensive line, like you look at Cleveland, right? So they built the offensive line. They, they built a decent defense. And, and, you know, Baker Mayfield ultimately wasn't, you know, the guy there. And then you're left, you know, extending Wyatt Teller, extending Joel Batonio, giving Miles Garrett a ton of money, and you're still not that good because yeah. your quarterback, you know, isn't great either. So I don't know if there's one way. I, I, do, I do believe tanking works. I do believe in this idea that, you know, if you're not going to compete for a, a championship, you know, playing, uh, you know, playing, you know, having a quarterback like a Kirk Cousins or somebody like that who can – help you understand who's good on your team. Um, having a quarterback like Andy Dalton who can tell you that Darnell Mooney is good, I like that approach. Hmm. I think the problem is, is is teams you know sort of buy way too much into that and think like nine wins is really a success when in reality, like you're not doing much with nine wins, right? As, as Buffalo found out, you really need – that elite super quarterback to really compete for championships in the NFL. Eric Eager here of Pro Football Focus on our Western Hotline. We're talking about year two quarterbacks. And one guy that I think has been criminally under-talked about in this group of year two quarterbacks is Davis Mills, the quarterback in, in Houston. And in the same conversation, we're talking about the Minnesotas of the world, right? Overvaluing a nine-win season, a just above nine, a 500 season. I, I At times last year, I scratched my head thinking about Nick Casero's plan of essentially building a roster of a bunch of really middling aged roster players um, that didn't really have a future on short-term contracts that essentially were special teams players on other teams. But the way that they built, it feels like, and they didn't have that first-round pick last year, they go out, they get Davis Mills, they finally hand the offense over to him because Tyrod Taylor just can't stay healthy. And he, I don't want to say was the... Kind of towards the end of the season, one of the better rookie quarterbacks of that draft class last year. But 
it's hard for me to say that like Trevor Lawrence looked better than Davis Mills at any point last year, and yet nobody's really talking about Davis Mills like the expectation that we're talking about. You know, Trevor Lawrence making the year two jump from you know getting away from Urban Meyer, and rightfully so. But like, I think their building method, although at first seemed very dumb and very head scratching, it's starting to yield, I think, an interesting route for them to get out of the basement of the NFL. I mean, it just it, I'm, not, I'm not predicting they're going to be a worst-to-first team. I think the Jaguars are in a way better position in that division. Um, but I'm certainly like I'm looking at them as a team that won't be as bad as they were last year, and I'm not exactly sure what kind of take that is. It's not like a scorching hot take or anything, but they do appear to be rotating and moving in the right direction considering they're still a team that does not have a lot of top-end talent. Yeah, they're, I mean, the organizational rot there is kind of high, you know, so I'm not never really going to buy into Houston. But, yeah, Davis Mills was the third most valuable rookie quarterback in the NFL last year. He was, he was pretty good considering he had, you know, really one guy to throw to. And, uh, and so the offensive line, Laramie Tunsil basically quit on the team halfway through the year. And, and Tyus Howard was, you know, just kind of a guy. Um, you know, defense wasn't great, didn't give him a lot of support. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's a – a decent football player. I, I, I just have a really hard time, you know, seeing how that team's going to be successful given, uh, you know, the way in which the organization is set up, the things that they've, you know, kind of undergone as far as, you know, it's, it's a place where somebody's career goes to die for the most part, right? If you're, I know it feels like the early Gruden Raiders where like Doug Martin would go there and it's just like, give me another couple of years of salary and then I'm out of here. Um, yeah, that that to me is the only part of the Houston thing that I don't like. I mean, I I, I think Mills played wonderfully last year. The last two guys I want to ask you about, Eric, and, and obviously Trevor Lawrence has was sort of like viewed as this Andrew Luck can't miss number one prospect, and um, he certainly did not play that way last year. And it wasn't just the fact that he had Urban Meyer and the absolute tire fire that followed him around all season, but even when you wanted to isolate Trevor Lawrence away from what Urban Meyer was doing in that franchise, it just never looked like he was comfortable at any point last season. And, and I'm wondering, with the additions of, you know, uh, with Christian Kirk and, 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 frankly, Doug Peterson, but also guys like, you know, Zay Jones, who are good replacement-level wide receivers. Now, they probably overpaid for those receivers, but this is going to be a much better collection of pass catchers. Evan Ingram and, uh, and, 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 and having him as your number one tight end with Kirk and and Lewis and um, or, I'm sorry and Marvin Jones and some of the other pieces that they're going to have, it feels like he's got the pieces around him to take a step. But I mean, he has to take a step, right? Because he was not good last year. Yeah, a lot of stuff broke down around him. I, I know the film guys really like how he handled the pocket presence, you know, his pocket presence and stuff like that. But you know, ultimately, he was not accurate. He was not. He didn't take care good care of the football. Um, there was a lot of things to dislike about the way in which uh, Trevor Lawrence played last year. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, as far as what I'd like to see in this team, you know, Doug Peterson did wonders with Carson Wentz uh, early on in his career. You like that. Uh, I, I overbought into Urban Meyer because I thought with guys like Schottenheimer uh, and Bevel, he had some competence there, but that certainly did not shine through. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the offensive line, you get Robinson in there. I, I would have liked them to probably draft somebody like Evan Neal uh, or uh, Iki Aquanu instead of Trayvon Walker if they were going to go with somebody other than Aiden Hutchinson. But, uh, yeah, I think that the thing is set up nicely. I mean, they're the team in, in – they're the last – the first team in, this, in the NFL this year as far as the team that I would bet on 
at, at market prices just because, you know, they have a defense that's not devoid of talent. They play in a really bad division. Um, you know, they're basically a Matt Ryan meltdown away from having a shot to be, you know, a, a, a contender in that division. Yeah, that's a great point. I, the last guy, obviously, and I think maybe the most interesting is Trey Lance. And, you know, the Jimmy G era ends up ending in a really weird way because he never he was just exactly what Jimmy G has always been. I mean, a game manager, a guy that's not going to fit the ball into tight windows and is going to not necessarily make a lot of mistakes, but be a guy that in the playoffs can have one or two good performances and, and elevate your team to an NFC championship game, what he's done multiple times with that franchise. But with the Trey Lance era starting, Eric, I'm wondering how you project what Trey Lance will be considering the small sample size we had last year. He didn't really look comfortable, and I think there was a lot of people saying, well, this is a guy that did not play enough college football, only one full season. Like, him sitting on the bench would be detrimental to his development. He needs to play, and I I think I agreed with that originally, but then I saw him play at times last year in place of Jimmy G, and I really wondered what how he could, what it was going to look like when he took over as a full-time starter. We're going to get to see that this year. Yeah, he has the widest distribution of any player in that draft class from a running back or from a quarterback perspective. And um, I actually thought he had the, the lowest projection. I, I, I liked him less. I always thought people were relieved that they took Trey Lance instead of Mac Jones, when in reality, all of us wanted them to take Justin Fields at three, yep, right? And, yep. and, and that made the most sense. But people overlooked the fact that taking, taking Trey Lance at three was kind of a blunder. And um, in my opinion, like, they're going to be productive. They've been productive. I mean, Nick Mullins' career yards per pass attempt is pretty high. Um, you know, last year, last year, Jimmy G had a 107.4 passer rating, uh, throwing from 10 to 19 yards. He had, in our system, two big-time throws, 15 turnover-worthy plays. So that's kind of like PFF's version of touchdown-to-interception ratio. Yep. And so, like, Shanahan was able to, like, make good offense out of that. So I think that the, the bar for Lance fundamentally will be low. Like, he doesn't have to perform that well for that offense to be successful. It, to me, it's just like, why did you trade the farm for that? Why, you know, you know, ultimately, like, you're thinking about giving up first round, giving up Debo Samuel to get first round picks back because you traded so much to get Lance. Right. Did that make a ton of sense to me? Not really. Eric, I appreciate you, man. Um, tell the folks where they can find you on Twitter if they don't follow you already and uh, any work you guys got uh, coming up the pipeline here. PFF underscore Eric on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, the PFF forecast comes out every Wednesday night and every Sunday night. Awesome, Eric. Appreciate you, man. Enjoy your rest of your weekend, and thanks for being available for me on a Saturday.